Hello, Kristen here. Before we get into this episode, I wanted to tell you that the antidote is a thing that's happening. It's a series of monthly gatherings that will help you return to your body and your being over and over again in the face of, you know, 2024, election insanity, climate change, global wars, your own personal stuff, other stuff. It's crazy out there. And it's easy to abandon yourself and freak out. The antidote is for bringing you home to yourself so that you can be safe in your being even when the world outside of you feels objectively unsafe. And because everybody's marketing at you and there's no reason for you to believe me, you can head to jointheantidote.com to grab a free recording of the first session that happened this week so you can feel it instead of thinking about it to see if it's a good match for you. That is jointheantidote.com. Scroll all the way down and you will see a place to pop your email address in and grab the recording. Welcome to this episode of That's What She Said. Today, I've got one Nick McCarthy. You met him last time. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit about being small and choosing to get bigger. So, hello, sir. Hello, fine madam. How are you today? <laughs> That's a strange thing to call you. <laughs> Good. Good. So, uh, we were trying to think of what to talk about. and. Um, if we begin to talk about the thing before the thing before the thing before the thing before the thing that stops women from being ballsy, we talk a lot about being small, playing small, acting small, and reducing yourself. Um, I was looking up quotes to use to kind of kick off today, like a good researcher does. Um, and I found the words of Glennon Doyle, who says, we know what the world wants from us. We know we must decide whether to stay small, quiet, and uncomplicated, or allow ourselves to grow as big, loud, and complex as we were made to be. Every girl must decide whether to be true to herself or true to the world. Every girl must decide whether to settle for adoration or fight for love. Glennon, she's always making it rain. She knows stuff, man. She knows stuff and she's awesome. It's true. So uh, I thought that we would start out with like, because um, when when you encounter a big person in any um, not in a physical sense, but in a, a, a spiritual, emotional, mental sense, if you come, encounter a person who walks into a room and you can feel their presence, it's really easy to think that they have always been that way, and that they just never had a problem, and they've always been the size that they are right now. My sense is that that is not true, 
and for you and can we talk about um that yeah i mean i often am perceived as someone who has no anxiety or fear about things and like can just i i am the person that goes into a room and i can like carry the energy of a room um and it definitely was not always like that for me and it Definitely, there was many times where I could outwardly appear that way, but my like deep inner spots were all like parched and small and fearful. And I'm still like one of the most anxious people around, even still. So um, I think that people assume that that just comes naturally, um, but it actually takes like a lot of little tiny steps where you build muscle. Just like no one runs a marathon naturally, no one is big and can fill a room naturally as well, you know? Yeah. When do you, um, I know that you had tiny spots and what did you make a habit in the tiny places to, first off, what was the habit that you made to make yourself tiny? And then how did you undo that habit? I don't think that like I didn't make a habit that made me tiny. I think the world made ha- makes habits that make people tiny. I think oh, realization, oh. <laughs> right? <laughs> Explode! I'm like I didn't at like three. I wasn't like you know what? I realized I'm a girl, and so therefore I am going to be very small and stop asking for Cheerios whenever I want them. Like that, it's too much. I I should only ask for Cheerios once a day. Clearly, I'm in. <laughs> It wasn't a habit that I formed. It was that like socialization in the world teaches girls to smile and be quiet and be nice and to look pretty and to not rock the boat and don't be a bitch. And, you know, like there's all these subliminal messages that say like, well, no, no, that's not your spot to decide that. Or that's, that's not for you to do. That's for someone else, AKA a boy, you know, and boys are taught to like, hurry hard and you know go after the girl and be aggressive in sports and um to get first place and you can do anything and that's not i mean the you can do anything is a message we give all kids but we don't really mean it towards girls so i think that most of it is that like the habits that we are making to keep us small are started when we're infants and we are like seeped in them we don't even know it's happening you know yeah, that uh, Rob Bell would say that's the water in which we swim. Like it's it's so a part of us and a part of our culture that we don't even see anymore. That hey, that's that's actually really really bad for us and for everyone involved because men don't do better when they have small women around. They feel like they have more power, but they aren't better. They're not all the better way men. Their souls, right? Like, right. Yeah. I mean, um, it's why the saying of behind every great man is is a great woman like which is bullshit but that's where the saying comes from is the idea that like a woman who forces her man to be bigger is because she's bigger herself right and so the therefore the man in front of the screen getting all the credit needs to like get as big as his woman is right yeah or bigger which is bigger in the case of like a Michelle Obama, that's a lot, that's a lot of bigness that you're going to have to get bigger than. Right. And it's pretty I mean, rad to watch. It is. And I think that the really cool thing about the Obamas is that I don't know that 
Barack feels like he has to be bigger than her. I think he just feels like he has to match her, which is really awesome. It's not a thing you see in mainstream. Yeah, no, and it's so beautiful. And I miss it so much, but let's not go down that rabbit hole. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, like, let's stay away from that. Yeah. But yeah, I think that a lot of it started with these little tiny decisions um, going from like, the, like all my muscles were trained to be small. All of my choices and decisions were trained to put other people first, to, um, to ask, which is not a, it's not a terrible thing to like be selfless and value other people's opinions. Um, but I was trained to like, not even look for my own feelings on things. I was trained to like, ask my husband what he wanted or ask my children what they wanted. Or when I was younger, ask my parents what they were wanted. I wasn't ever taught to build the muscles or like create muscles, even little ones that were like, what do I want? What, what am I supposed to do here? You know? And so it was really uncomfortable. People will always ask me like, man, it's so brave that you transitioned from female to male. Like that's, you are so brave. And I always think like, okay, I guess so. But like, that wasn't the brave part. The brave part was the 73 steps before that, that gave that like, we're building the muscles to be able to come out and transition publicly. But without those like beginner muscles, I would have never gotten to the spot where I was all buff and could transition. Right. Like, (laughs) I'm like, uh, I don't know if you've seen me, but I lift. Um, right. <laughs> but like before that, the, the scariest thing is like the first time you use that muscle and you're not sure if you're going to fall on your face or not. It's yeah. You scary. didn't even know you had a muscle there. And then you're like, oh, there, there's one there like way down in there. It's a little atrophied, but yeah, I have muscle there. Yeah, I have that. Uh-huh. And so for me, I think that that like my big breaking point, my big turning point was um, getting my tattoos and that my husband at the time had sort of forbidden me. And then like when that, when forbidding me didn't work, cause he'd forbid me because like, we don't have the money to spend on that. We should spend it on our kids college tuition. And so then I found a tattoo shop that I liked and traded them photo work for tattoo hours. And so then that, okay. Like that was the first muscle growth because I was like, well, I really want this thing. So I'm going to figure out a way to make it happen. Also your kids were four. So like at a college tuition level, four is not when we begin to worry at a deep level. about At a deep level. No, they weren't (laughs) 17 in their senior year ready to go. Um, They were four is the oldest. Uh, So the other ones weren't even born yet. It's fine. Um, But like it took a lot for me to like, go around and find the way around the rule that I had somehow allowed myself to like, I think about it now and I'm like, like I could let my spouse tell me what I can and can't do. That's hilarious. Like outside of like, you can and can't sleep with that woman. Like, I feel like outside of that, I don't really, my partner doesn't tell me what I can and can't do anymore. They might tell me what their preference might be. And I might take that into consideration, but like, I truly like it was a revolutionary act for me to go and find a way to get what I wanted around him telling me no. It felt like this, like I had just, I don't know, like created some like masterpiece. Like I had done this crazy thing. I was like, I don't know. I was a revolutionary for figuring out a way to get a tattoo for free. And then 
And then when he was like, well, no, because I've heard that you can get a blood disease from tattoo ink. And this person had to have their whole, all their blood removed from their body and cleaned in order to get the tattoo ink out of their poisoned blood. So that's why you can't have a tattoo. And I was like, yeah, I'm getting one anyway. And that is the bravest thing that I've ever done. Because I knew that it was like the beginning of the end. Does that make sense? Yeah, like some part of you knew that that was what would put the power into play, that you had mm-hmm. always accepted, and forgive me if I put words into your mouth, from the outside looking in, it looked like you had always accepted, like, he is A, you are B, and you were yes. like, well, what if I don't want to be B anymore? What if... What if what we if, could both be A's? Right! Like, wouldn't that be interesting? But at mm-hmm. some level, that wasn't what you had, either of you had agreed to when you started, and so it, it messes with things, for sure. And the worst part is that my ex-husband is actually a really nice guy. And if he had known that I thought of him as A and me as B, I actually think he would have been really hurt. Like it wasn't a thing that he was consciously doing either. He hadn't decided that he was A and I was B. It was that society had had decided that for us. He's not a bad person. He Like I wasn't in an abusive relationship. It was just that like I was a stay-at-home mom slash full-time photographer slash wife. And he left every day and went to work and made more money. And so he was in charge. But even when I made more money, I think he was still in charge. So I don't know. (laughs) Because I'm like, there's many times in our marriage that I made more money as well. And so, but I wasn't in charge then either. So I don't, I think it's just, we set ourselves up this way because it's, it's like the, these beliefs that are passed down from one generation to another, to another, to another. And we don't even know that we believe these things. They're just like ingrained in us. Yeah. All I wanted when I was married was for my husband to, um, if not be bigger than me, then at least do like play the role that you're supposed to play, which is that like, you're the alpha, you're in charge. I don't have to make all the decisions. I don't have to earn all the money. I don't have to be, the person who takes care of everything behind the scenes. Um, and that wasn't, that wasn't what happened because that wasn't, I desperately wanted him to be a well and make me be, and I just couldn't not be an a, I guess was the issue there. Um, so opposite I mean, problems. Like, <laughs> yeah, right. I'm like, like, you couldn't be an a and he didn't know how to, but he also, or you couldn't not be an a, but he also didn't know how to be an a, he hadn't learned that he somehow, right. That wasn't, right. he like missed the programming. I yeah, don't know. He, he somehow missed that completely. And so. Which is like a really great thing actually, but you know. Yeah, no, but I like, we could both be A's. That would be okay. Like I'm all about everybody in relationships, both being A's and that's totally awesome. And um, so part of being ballsy is just knowing like, okay, I'm making myself small here, or I'm, I'm asking for something that this person might not be able to give, or I'm looking for something that I am very much capable of giving myself. And actually I can do far more than I thought I could. I think being ballsy is again and again, coming to the place where you, um, you find that you're doing far more than you thought you could. And it's really surprising, not least of all to you that you're doing that. (laughs) Right. And I think and how if you just give yourself the chance, it actually doesn't even feel that hard. No, because once you, it's like once you go to the gym and you're like, oh, that's where my biceps are. 
then you can build your biceps pretty easily. It's yeah. just those first couple of times that you go when you're like, I don't have any idea of what this is or how this works. And, and so what, like, how the machine works. And you're like, I'm probably going to drop the weights on my toes. And, you know, it's, it's the fear of it versus right. everyone's laughing at me. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm sweating too much. This is weird. I'm using the wrong songs. The gym smells. And then you're like, oh, no, I'm at the gym I'm using the machine. I get it. That's the muscle I'm working. Okay, got it. And then you work the muscle and it's just not a big deal anymore. And then you're like, and you know what the even crazier thing is? Is like, I can change the song I'm listening to. I'm going to do that. Right? I'm going to do that. And I'm going to get me some, uh, some, you know, scents up in here so that it doesn't smell like, you know, like hockey rink butt. Yep. Um, and we're going to make some changes. So that's I, what this is about, I guess. I don't All know. I think, I think it's just about getting, getting bigger in general is a very tricky and sometimes triggering thing. Um, but like way back at the beginning, you were just a, a lady who wanted a tattoo and your husband told you no. <laughs> and that didn't work out for him well because now I am a man married to a woman with many <laughs> tattoos. So that's not the point of ballsy. That's not where it's going to take you, but it, um, it does take you to places that are, that are surprising. And um, I also wanted to talk a little bit about, I don't think we addressed this anywhere in the course, but it felt important to talk about this, uh, the sense that having feelings is a bad thing and mm. that it's okay to have feelings, um, particularly as a woman that you have feelings. And then when you have to tamp them down, shove them down or pretend they're not there, you're actually making yourself a lot smaller. Um, and again, with the Glennon Doyle, she said, I'm not a mess, but a deeply feeling person in a messy world. I explain that now when someone asks me why I cry so often, I say for the same reason I laugh so often because I'm paying attention. I tell them that we can choose to be perfect and admired or to be real and loved. We must decide. And especially I think what fits in there um, for lots of the business owners that I see do in life, particularly on the Instagrams and the perfection porn, is that you're choosing to be perfect and admired is a lonely, lonely road. And it ultimately doesn't lead to where you want it to go. And it doesn't lead to anywhere particularly interesting because eventually you're going to crumble. And so choosing to, be, choosing to be ballsy, choosing to get bigger, choosing to be braver, choosing to express your opinion is to choose to be real and loved. And ultimately, I think that's what I want for every person who takes a class, whether they have a business or not, is to choose to be real and loved. Do you have any thoughts on that? I feel like we should just let it sink in for a second because, I mean, isn't that what everybody wants? Deep down, isn't that the reason why the like perfection porn and the not showing your feelings and trying to be perfect every second of every day is about to begin with is like, because they just want to be seen and loved. And it's so ironic that the thing that, is stopping that from truly happening is the thing that they're doing so they can be seen and loved to begin with. Right? Yes. Like the act of making the perfection porn mm -hmm. is distancing you from that ability to be loved just as you are. It's true. And so I feel like if we're all just a little bit more vulnerable and we all show a little bit more of like what it truly feels like to walk around in our world and our skin and our own particular experience. Um, 
that like we're all a little bit closer to like show like us showing up that way lets someone else show up that way too because it's okay it's like giving permission and so it's not about just getting ballsier for yourself it's about getting ballsier for the women around you for the your kids for your neighbor person who has who literally has never seen or known a woman who is willing to be like partner a or who is willing to put herself out there in a way and who's looking for to someone else to see what it looks like and feels like to be brave because all of our socialization states that that's not women's job you know and so representation matters in all sorts of different ways and one of them is like just showing up as your biggest bravest self in the world at the grocery store really is like like again it is this revolutionary act it is the thing that can change the direction that the world is going in i think i think so and i think that we chose ballsy as like a funny little play on being manly but also as this like it's being tough and being courageous and the the most courageous thing that we can do as Brene Brown says, like our most accurate measurement of courage is vulnerability. And so when we say tough and courageous and ballsy, that's also going to come with the flip side of that coin, which is being vulnerable, which means making asks, getting no's, um, being rejected and walking into a world in which, yeah, we expect that to happen. And part of the class is like, yep, you're going to, you're going to get no's. And we, equipping you for that no instead of acting as if like oh they're going to say no and that's the worst thing that could possibly happen and then you go back to i'm going to be perfect and admired and everyone will say yes to me and give me likes like no you can be real and loved and get lots of no's and get lots of no thank yous and the yeses that you get will be all the more enthusiastic because they have been steeped in vulnerability at some level mm. yeah so, um, I think um, when we were talking about this course one more time, and I feel like I'm jumping around a little bit, but I also felt like that was a mic drop moment, if I'm perfectly honest. Like, I, that's why I didn't have anything <laughs> else to say. I was like, I, don't, I can't follow that up with something because it would just take <laughs> away from the moment. So I'm just going to shut up. <laughs> it's really, really good. Um, so there's a little bit of patriarchy smashing in this. And I want to talk about that um, in a way that is completely honest about the sort of thing that we're up to. Because this is not a small thing and this is not like, well, you'll just sell more shit. Like that's, that's absolutely the way that we can justify the cost. But um, what we have been saying when we're talking about this with colleagues and friends is um, we're sick of seeing women play small put themselves last and get passed over from mediocre white men all over the damn place. We want to live in a world where women, A, don't hesitate to sell their work at a fair price, and B, advocate for their own time and well-being without apologizing, especially in Canada, for you Canadians, without apologizing is like 90% of your work. Dude, even now, like, I have gotten a lot bigger. I have switched genders. I have switched marriages. I have changed like my whole business model, like I have gotten a lot bigger. And yet I, if I like, if someone bumps into me in the grocery store, I still, I'm like, Oh, I am so sorry. Like, and I'm afterwards, I'm like, bitch, please. Like that wasn't my fault. I had nothing to do with <laughs> You ran into me with your cart while I was standing there minding my own business. And now my heels are bleeding. But I would have been like, 
I'm so sorry. I was standing in the way. I, I must have been just daydreaming or something. I wasn't paying attention. It's my fault, not yours. Like we talk about this all the time, you and I, because it's so funny because it's the idea that like you'll knock a glass of milk over be like, stupid glass of milk, and I'll knock a glass of milk over and be like, I am the worst person ever. I didn't even respect that cow's breast milk. <laughs> you know? Like, th- that's the difference in, in some of it. I mean, it's partially, I think it's why we teach this course so well together is because you don't really understand the apology energy. That's not like a thing that is in your makeup. And I am like so steeped in it. And so it's funny to when we were making this course to hear the spots where you're like, Oh, I don't do that at all. And I'm like, Oh, I do that in spades. Yeah. 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 And it's, yeah, it's really funny. Uh, so that I'm not just like, well, just stop apologizing the end. Cause you're like, Oh, it's not that simple. Oh, right. Numbers. <laughs> uh-huh. It's just, it's in the way that we're made. Right. Yeah. Um, uh, so what if as a, as a general takeaway challenge kind of a thing, uh, what if, you could apologize 10% less or only apologize if it's actually your fault. I'm not anti-apologizing, but like if a person runs into your car while you are parked, it is their fault and you apologize for hopefully nothing in that scenario. Um, Particularly when it's a reflex. Like that's, oh, sorry, go ahead. Well, just sometimes it's a reflex that it is something that just comes out of your mouth like, oh, or so, or um, or in between words, sometimes it's not even something that you're consciously doing because you just get so used to your reflex being to apologize. And so can we just for a moment kind of roll that back and be like, oh no, that's, I'm sorry. Like those are sacred words when they're really meant. And so can you like give them just a little bit more of their sacredness by, by when you say them really meaning them and then only apologizing when you actually do something wrong. Yeah. That's all. Go ahead. And I was going to say, and the thing that I, even I find that difficult still. And so the way that I have given myself a workaround for that is that I will, if something has happened to someone and I realized that like often the time that I would be saying sorry, wasn't necessarily because I felt like I had done something wrong, but because I had felt sorry for that person. And so now I've just changed my language just a little bit to be like, I'm so sorry that that happened to you. Or I'm that, that sounds really hard. I'm sorry that that's happening. Like, Versus it being my, it's, I'm not taking responsibility for that thing where before I'd be like, I am just so sorry. And it would almost like, I would somehow convince myself that it was my fault that like whatever thing that had nothing to do with me happened. And now I've, I'm able to still feel empathy for that person and the thing that happened. Cause I'm like, I'm like the compassionate, considerate guy. Like that's my, I'm like, I'm always like, I'm just, oh, I just have so many feels about that that happened to that person. Mm-hmm. And so now I have just changed it to be like being like, I'm sorry you feel that way or I'm sorry that that has happened to you or that this feels so hard for you. If it's a way where you're like, I truly am compassionate. Mm-hmm. It's just allowed me to shift my words just slightly to not be taking ownership of that problem because it's not mine. Yeah. Like I'm so sorry your father died is uh, not your fault unless you're a murderer. Um, it's true. <laughs> so like, yeah. I probably would have taken some fault on that somehow before. I don't know. Like, or I'll, I'll often in my marriage be like, if my wife is angry at me and I know that like, I know that I didn't do anything wrong. I feel truly sure of that in my heart and in my soul. And I've like stopped and reflected and realized that like, no, okay, this actually isn't me. Instead of like in my 
past relationships and even in this relationship, but like earlier on, I would have just been like, well, no, I must have done something wrong. So I should apologize. If she's feeling this way, it must be my fault. Whereas now if I'm like, no, I've examined, I have done some reflecting. This is not a me problem, but I'm still sorry that she's feeling this way. And so I can, I can truly apologize that she's having that experience and that I may have done things to trigger that experience in her, but I don't believe I did anything wrong. And so I can, I can sort of work it that way. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's, that's the hard work of sorting out like what's mine and what's yours and what's ours. And it gets all tangled and gross in there. Mm -hmm. And then there's so many feelings and crying. Um, yep. And you figure and plus it out. I hate conflict, so I'm like, I'll just apologize to not have conflict. <laughs> I also hate conflict. Yeah, surprisingly yeah. enough. Right. Uh, um, I think two, two more things, and I want to talk about this because it's happened to me, which means that it's probably happened to uh, everyone who's listening. Not that I'm a narcissist, but that uh, it's probably universal, which is... Um, when it comes to selling anything, but in particular, like with Ballsy, um, there was certainly a time when I was very, very like, oh yeah, I could totally sell fucking 300 of those, no problem. And then in my mind, like it would be like, well, no, but like a hundred or like, no, but we should be reasonable. Okay. So like 50. Okay. So like 20. Okay. So like four is good. Um, so that when I'm doing my projections, instead of going to that place of like, oh my God, yeah, let's, let's move a hundred of these. Let's get a hundred people to help smash the patriarchy internally so they can do it externally. Right. Yeah. Um, that it would just slowly creep back to like, we'll be reasonable or um, like, look what you did last year. Like you're, it's probably just going to be like that. It's probably gonna be exactly the same. Or like, why would you even try to sell more? Or like, is it even worth it? Or um, watching the, the internal dialogue of dream creep of, of letting a, a setback or a failure or just your asshole brain sort of narrow the scope of your dreams means that you can go from going from 300. I want to sell 300 of these. To, I want to sell four of these in the space of like 15 seconds. And I just want to call out that that still happens internally because my brain is an mm -hmm. asshole, but that doesn't mean that that has to be the final say, like it is not Nick's and my goal to sell four. Right. <laughs> Like right. That's our goal. That's our big uh, end goal here. We're going to move four of these things, which is fine if you're selling a many, a very large expensive product, but in order to mm -hmm. feed Nick's enormous family and Neville Longbottom, who eats more than any seven humans combined on any given day, a puppy, uh, we're going to have to sell more than four. So watch the dream creep of I could do this and then how immediately your brain steps in and pulls it back by like 90 to 97%. And can you... Um, just for a second, put on like the the robe of a mediocre white man on a subway or a train who's man spreading, and like what would his goal be? Because I guarantee that it wouldn't go from three hundred to four. No, I promise. Because I work with both men and women now. When I used to work, I went like when I was a woman, I worked almost exclusively with women because men don't hire women. Mm -hmm. And now that I'm a dude, I work with a pretty close to a 50-50 split, maybe even 60-40 based on men. Mm -hmm. And um, truthfully, I, I, I spend my time working with men being like, you have to be more realistic. You're not going to sell that many. That's an unrealistic <laughs> rule. Literally, I spend half of my time working with men saying, 
no, you're not going to go from making $3,000 a month to $25,000 a month in three months. That's an unrealistic goal. That Mm -hmm. is not like, if you look at the past year of your business, you've never made more than $4,000 a month. It's unrealistic to believe that you will make 25,000 in three months from now, even with my amazing marketing plan, it's just not going to happen. And that's devastating to them because they believe it is. And I spend my time with women saying, no, you are worth more than $300. Like you are, you need to triple your projections. You need to triple your goals. You need to triple your, like just add a zero to everything and we're good. That like <laughs> literally these are the conversations that I have. I, I, you know, this week alone, I've probably had 10 coaching calls in which I have told six men to be smaller and four women to be bigger. That is life working with both men and women in the coaching world. It's just the way it is. I've never had to coach a man to be bigger, ever. Yeah, and the vast majority of coaching for women is be bigger, be bigger. You can do more. You can do that. You can do that. You can do that. So um, so that's interesting that that, yeah, that realistic goals mean that we just, we just kind of cut them off at the knees immediately. And we're like, I'll sell two. That's my goal. That's it. Uh, and dudes are like, I'm going to sell 70,000. And you're like, okay, well, probably, probably no. <laughs> but the thing is, is that when they truly believe they're going to sell that many, they get a whole crap closer than they would have if they had believed they were going to sell two. Of course. Right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because if I think I'm going to sell 70,000, I'm going to sell more than two, guaranteed. But if my goal is to sell two, I might only sell one. The other difference with men and women is that if their goal is to sell 70,000, they're going like all in they are dropping all of their regular commitments. They are just like hyper-focused, laser-focused, whatever you want to say, on their goal. Mm -hmm. And everything else falls away. And the women in their lives pick up all the pieces in order to let them laser-focus. But when a woman has this goal, this thing that she needs to accomplish, very often they do not let all their responsibilities drop away and let their husbands or their partners pick up the pieces. That's not a thing that happens. Yeah. They, they are like, you know what I'll do? I'm going to sell four of them and I'm going to sell them at three in the morning while my kids are asleep and my husband is asleep and I finally have an hour of quiet and I will fit all of my ambitions into this three hour in the middle of the night period or I'll get up at 4am in order to do it or I'll only work during my kids nap times And then I'll be really disappointed in myself when I don't meet my goals that were already smaller than they should have been. That's the difference. And when women need the extra support, men don't think to offer it. But when men need the extra support, women jump at the opportunity to offer it. Men are waiting for someone to ask. And the truth is, is that like, there's often times where I'll say that I'll be working with clients and they're like, I just can't, I don't have the time. And I'm like, have you asked your husband? Have you asked your partner? Have you said, I need help. I need an extra this. And every time they're like, well, he wouldn't, it, we just don't, we can't afford it. And then I'm like, go talk to them. And literally they'll like have this like really nerve wracking, terrible 24 hours where they like, are like, okay, I have to talk to him about this by this time. And then they go to talk to them and they're like, yeah, babe, whatever you want. Sure. <laughs> Kids yep. need to go on daycare two days a week. 
yeah, okay, that's fine. It probably would be good for them, socialization and whatnot. Like that's typically the response because your partner does want you to be fulfilled. They just, they don't, they're not thinking about like, I wonder if my wife is fulfilled in business today. Does she have everything she needs? No, she, they're focused on focusing on themselves in their business today. Where women are focused on the people around them. They're typically more nurturers and caregivers. And they've been trained to put themselves last and put the people around them first. Yeah. It's, it's like a, it's that like unconscious bias, that thing that's happening to them that they don't even know is happening to them in childhood because they've watched their moms do it and they've watched their grandmas do it and they've watched their aunts do it and they've watched their friends' moms do it and they've watched their friends grow up and do it. And it literally is a thing that they don't even, it's like it's happening to them unconsciously, subliminally. Yeah. To quote you from the beginning, all of my muscles were trained to be small, to put other people first, to not even look for my own feelings on things. And they still are. I still work every day to change that. Yeah. So we're all getting bigger all the time and uh, we can, we can do it, but we don't have to let our dreams be small. Double your, double your goal easily every single time. It will feel Mm -hmm. better. Um, it's okay to have feelings. It's okay to get bigger. It's okay to have ambitions that do not fit into the three hour period in the middle of the night while your kids are asleep. It's okay to be bigger than that. Um, and it's okay to, to be ballsy. It's going to shake some things up, but in the best possible way. And it's going to require more courage and vulnerability than you thought possible. But on the other side, you will be a renewed human and you'll be smashing the patriarchy besides, I mean, win and win and win. <laughs> right. None of those things make you greedy or needy or self-absorbed. They just make you a person. Yeah, absolutely. And that feels like a good way to, uh, to stop like a good stopping point. So um, to be part of Ballsy, you just want to head to ballsy.club. Um, Ballsy session one is waiting for you there. Um, I believe that by the time this is up, I'll have worksheets you can download that go with the first session just so you know what's going on. And um, in general, if you, it's just that if you heard yourself in this, if you were like, oh God, I do that and I do that and I do that and I do that, like come play with us, come get bigger. And if you don't own a business, that's okay. Right. Yeah, we'll, we'll figure it out. We're happy to tailor things. Um, I do have a degree in education. And so um, if, the, if there are more people that don't have a business than do, I'm happy to make up a different or new lesson to make additional content to, uh, mm-hmm. to change things as necessary. So this is not like, it's all decided and fuck you guys. You have to go through our curriculum, just be shoved through. Like, no, there's room to play here and there's room to grow for, for hopefully for Nick and uh, I know for me. Mm-hmm. And so. Let's go do that thing. Let's, let's get bigger together. Yeah. Men. Excellent. So ballsy.club, join us. We start July 16th. Hint, that is soon. Uh, so go pick up your class, and uh, we will see you next week. And the it's going to be swell. It is. And the Make Your Money Back Challenge is waiting, and it's fucking awesome. So go get it. Bam.
Thank you for listening. One more time, The Antidote is a series of monthly gatherings to help you come back to your body, your being, and your breath when it's most likely that you'll self-abandon. The Antidote is the antidote to trying to do everything all alone, all by yourself, while you grow more stressed and you're generally freaking out and telling everyone you're fine while quietly or not so quietly scream sobbing in a private place between tasks. Let's not do that. Let's try something different. This is a really simple format. One gathering a month on the first Tuesday of the month until the 2024 election. So we're practicing the skills that we will need in November now. And we're getting really comfortable with body, breath, and being now. And that's available to you at jointheantidote.com. There's a free recording. You can sign up. You can get more details. Enjoy, enjoy, enjoy.